So, how's it going? Well, we just lost an entire Patreon episode because my computer stopped recording. Wow. And um, I had to watch this movie today, which pissed me off. <laughs> and um, I'm having surgery next week, which also is making me mad. And you know what? I'm just not. I'm done. I'm done. Um, I don't have any words of encouragement for you because... Um, as I told you in, I don't know, we recorded two Patreons and one didn't take, but in one of them I told you I'm the anti-Midas and everything I touch turns to shit lately, so I don't have much for you, I apologize. That was mine. That was the one we, that's the one that took. Okay, good. At least that joke will be in there. Huzzah! (laughs) Um, yeah. So, I'm real mad that I'm alive. I'd like to go to the dying room. <laughs> That's the one that didn't take. <laughs> it is the one that didn't take. But don't worry. We're going to do it again. Yeah, we will, because I did a lot of work on those notes. Yes, you did. And, um, and I will. That means I'm going to be terrified twice yes. because those notes are scary as shit. Yeah. But, actually, <laughs> but next time I will have a lamp sitting right here behind me. <laughs> so, Thank God. So that I won't say, and then they died and the lights fucking go off. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have planned that better. <laughs> because the thing is, on this side, you look like you're telling me a story with a flashlight pressed underneath your chin. I don't have any good place to f- put this light, but it makes me feel better than having... There, I'll just hold it like this. That's a great place. <laughs> <laughs> a Statue of Liberty for the rest of this episode. There's no way this could go wrong. Well, because... Earlier, you weren't doing that. It was just dark, and it like the reflection from your screen just made it look like you were holding a flashlight, like right here. Right. <laughs> it was scary. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about this movie? No, I'm sure there's something else. Oh, there's something else we can talk about. Listen, okay. Aaron, we did it. We did it. Okay. We released our first free Britney episode, and the next day, the fucking next day, <laughs> Jamie Spears Britney was taken was off freed. the conservatorship. So the conservatorship is not completely dissolved, but Jamie was taken off. And then I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. that's a two parter, and the next one still has to drop. Well, that dropped today. Yes, yes, it did. So future you listening to this right now, you've already listened to it, I hope. Yes. You enjoyed it. And I did make Jamie it, Spears is trash. I did make it clear in the beginning that we recorded that a while ago. Yes. That was a Patreon vault. But like And so much has happened since then. I like, know. That it's was crazy. That was the crazy thing. I mean we recorded it in July. It's not like it was eons ago. But no, and I remember when that came, when we were recording that, it was like... It was the day after that the New Yorker minute. had dropped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. So, yeah. So. Uh, well. Um. Aaron. Hmm. I don't want to do this case. Well, you chose it, so... Listen, here's how I... You always do this to me. You back me in a corner like I chose something. Here's what I did. You said, we're running out of Lifetime movies. So I went, here, I'll do a quick Google. And I gave you the top results of movies I haven't heard. So no, the Ouija board that is Google chose for us. 
always quick to blame someone. I'm a middle child. I don't take any blame. That's literally what the middle child is for. Yeah, but but we <laughs> deflect as well as we take it. Oh God! All right, we gotta do it though. Fine. This week, I watched Burning Bed. It is from 1984. Wow, it is an old one. This is an old one. Mm-hmm. Which means it was pretty and much a rip from the headlines. But yeah. they didn't have and the title for that. Farrah Fawcett. Farrah. You'll know Farrah Fawcett. Well, if you're alive during 1984, you'll know her from the wall of all of your guys. <laughs> That's what that was about uh, to say. Um, Charlie's Angel, Logan's Run. Goodness. I mean, she's in everything. If you don't know who Farrah Fawcett is, like, move out from under a rock. I don't know what to tell you. Um, it's Paul... It's, Yep. Yeah. I said that. That was the thing that I said. What'd you say? My it's microphone like, cut out. I said, <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> See. It also stars Paul Lamott. That's not a person. Um, he is from, he is a person. He's from American Graffiti, um, Melvin, The Long Shot, Stateside, all kinds of stuff. Um, it stars Richard Major, 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 whatever. Um, he was in The Thing, Risky Business, My Girl. Oh, wow. The movie that ruined my childhood. Everyone's childhood. Um, let's see, what's he done lately? Uh, he was in Younger. Oh, really? I love Younger. And The Good Fight. Mm-hmm. And then Grace Zabriskie. Okay. She plays mom, the mom. Okay, so I forgot. Paul Lamont plays Mickey. Farrah Fawcett, I just call her Farrah the whole time because duh. Right. Um, Richard Mejier plays um, Mickey's father. And then Gracie, Grace Zabriskie, Zabriskie plays Mickey's father. She was on Tales of the Crypt, and that's why she freaks me out so. Wait. You just told us Grace Zabriskie plays Mickey's father. Mickey's mother. Oh, you said father. And I was like, is this a pants roll or something? Like, oh. what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was from Tales from the Crypt. She was in Child's Play 2. Okay. If you look her up, you, she has a very recognizable face. And she also played the matriarch of the crazy cult in, um, oh, Big Love. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Her Love face Big scares Love. me. She's got a, I mean, she's got a scary face, but I think it's because she was cast in so many of those iconic... Not in a bad way. It's like a typecast right. thing. It's not that she's actually a scary person, I don't think. No. <laughs> Maybe she is. I don't know her. But, um, yeah. So a lady voiceover is that she told her kids to get in the car and wait. It was March 9th, 1977. She gets in the car outside the house, and then the house explodes. Casual. Yeah. Um, the kids scream, and she starts the car and drives away. The firemen must have been, like, waiting around the corner, because they show up real fast. Okay. Um, the neighbors come out screaming, My boy's in there! Those are his parents. Great. Okay. Um, 
the firemen try to get in, but they can't. Um, and then we cut to the jail bathroom. Farrah Fawcett washes her hands while someone watches her. They spray her down with a hose? Well, yeah, she, there was a fire. No, 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 no. She's not in, she's in jail, not in the fire. Well, delayed reaction, Aaron. Okay. It's like you don't know anything about fighting fires. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Um... <laughs> And then, so they put her in jail. The next day, she meets her court-appointed attorney. He used to work with the prosecutor's office and makes a remark on how funny it is that a few months ago he would have been the one prosecuting this case. And I'm like, that's not funny at all, but okay. (laughs) You know. I don't think you know how jokes work, sir. (laughs) It's advanced Um, comedy. We wouldn't get it. Yeah. He tells her that she's, he's like, okay, so you confessed. And uh, so it's going to be real difficult for me to defend you in this case, especially if you won't talk to me. Perfect. (laughs) And she's like, and then she voiceovers, I did love him, and we flash back to 1963. Farrah Fawcett meets Mickey at a party. She and her friend go up to him and try to flirt with him. Um, They end up dancing, and he asks her out for the next Friday. They go on a double date and go parking. And then he tries to get her to have sex with him while her friends are having sex in the back seat. And I'm like... Listen. Has dating changed that much? (laughs) I... I can't speak on this as the resident Baptist. I can't speak on this, so... Let's get someone you know, else. No, you phone. make those remarks like I was not raised in a very conservative Southern Baptist church. Yeah, but see, as an adult, I picked Baptist. Like as a grown-up, yeah, I don't understand. I that. chose to be Baptist. I don't know why. You bad. Listen, choice. I do get no in sense. trouble because I fight them all the time. But yeah, the progressive Baptist um, here. I mean, of all the things, of all the the denominations to choose aside from like just crazy evangelical right the baptists are right up there with like who you don't choose to be fair i chose methodist but sarah's always been baptist so we go to a baptist church yeah methodist much more aligns with how crazy i am there's a lot of like crazy shit going on in this sbc right now yeah um uh in my opinion good riddance yeah (laughs) but that's a stall for another time um so, yeah, there's the weird sex in the car thing happening. And then, um, but she's like, no, I don't want to have sex with you. I want to wait till I get married. And so we fast forward. Oh, so I, I thought maybe she'd be like, it's their turn right now. Like, we'll get the back seat in a minute. They've got like a timer going. No. Like, you've got seven more minutes. I mean, have you ever played seven minutes in heaven? Is that how that game goes? <laughs> Your buddies escort you in the front seat? <laughs> I mean, no, but you go in the closet. I, yeah. What's wrong with you in the front seat? <laughs> <sighs> okay, anyway. Um, so, yeah, she's like, I want to wait till I get married. So we fast forward, and he, like, starts asking her to marry him, like, immediately. And she's like, we cut to him, like, proposing to her on her on his mom's couch. And... I was like, wow, that's so romantic. Um, I imagine. But Farrah breaks up with him. I imagine the couple is having sex on his mom's armchair. Like, I now have, 
I now have it in my but head. Wherever they go, there's this other couple. <laughs> you know what? It would have been a much more interesting movie. <laughs> That's really why she burned the fucking house down because they just wouldn't stop. Twenty years you of this what? shit. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be mad. We're gonna we're gonna get to who I wouldn't be mad if they had actually if she'd set them on fire as well. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> This is gonna be a new segment. I would be mad if this person burned down. Have you seen that? That remind. Have you seen that TikTok video of the fireman that like drops his boot and then he's in his uh his uniform? No, but I need to. It's like one of the tra- those transition videos. Anyway, Savage Mom, who who like roasts. I love comments Savage Mom on hers. She did one, and she was like, one of them was. I've decided to change my career path. I'm gonna choose arson. I'm gonna choose what? Arson! (laughs) My lamp died. (laughs) I'm sorry, your office is janky sometimes. Oh my god. Okay, anyway... Um, Farrah breaks up with Mickey because she doesn't want to get married and because she wants to finish school and leave town, which is what she should have done. Um, her friend reports back to her that Mickey just sits in his room all day listening to records and crying. And so they get back together and finally have sex. Farrah totally freaks out because she thinks everyone will know that she's had sex by the way she looks. And that's how you know that this movie was made in 1984. Right. <laughs> um, so, Farah, uh, oh no, Mickey takes Farah to pick out her engagement ring and his mommy pays for it. Beautiful. Um, they get married and move in with his parents. Nothing says I love you like come well, live with me and my weird parents. Well, everyone <laughs> needs to have an emotional support mom around at all times. I don't. You, you don't live with with your mom? I mean I mean we don't we don't I we don't either. That would be weird. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine if I lived with my mother? Can you imagine what if I lived there? with mine? Uh, Any of our group of friends living with their mothers would be real bad. Right. Even the one that does live with their mothers. Anyways, Mickey's dad tells him to find a job, and we fast forward a year, and they're still living with his parents, and he still doesn't have a job, so things are going great. Great, love it. Um, he also starts beating on Farah for being too sexy, and his, what the fuck was that? One of my tiles fell. <laughs> so Aaron and I just told back-to-back ghost stories, and now my office is falling apart with the lights off. <laughs> oh that scared me so bad. Oh my gosh. Ooh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um. I need you to buy two lamps. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com anyway, slash lifetime sense. <laughs> please give money to Paul for lamps. 
all so many. He needs like a million. He needs to just fill the rest of the office space. <laughs> I'll get those cool gamer lights that go around the ceiling. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Oh, I simply sorry. say floodlight. Not sponsored, yes. but they're bright. Mickey starts beating Farrah for being too sexy, and his parents just let him. Oh, casual. Because, you know, boys will be boys. <laughs> Back in jail, Farrah's lawyer is like, if you don't start to trust me, then maybe you should find another attorney. And I was like, bro, you're a court-appointed attorney, and that's not how that works. You don't get to quit. Right. <laughs> That's what appointed means. <laughs> um, he yells at her about how she's not alone, which I enjoy the sentiment, but please lower your voice. And then he gives her a letter from a woman who left her abusive husband after hearing Farrah's story. We go back to the past. And Mickey accuses Farrah of flirting with his brother. And he beats the crap out of her, so she leaves him. Okay. She goes to her mom's house, and her mom, being the loving and supporting parent that she is, uh-huh. tells her to go back to her husband. Well, yeah, duh. Because, quote, you make a hard bed, you have to lay in it. The fuck does that mean? And it's only natural that Mickey is jealous. And now that Farrah is pregnant, she doesn't really have a choice. It can't be that bad. No. They have their first... Okay, so she goes back. They have their first baby, Christy, and they finally get their own house, and Mickey gets a job. Um, but then Mickey beats her up in front of her friends for going into town without her. Without him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what you do. All of his friends stare open-mouthed at them, but nobody does anything. He backhands her across the face. Everyone's like, nobody does anything. She should have burned down this entire town. Yes. And everyone in it. Yes. Farrah tells her friend that it's just as much her fault as it is Mickey's. And it's been really hard since Mickey already lost his job. The one he just got? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. The very one. Later, he apologizes to her, saying that he doesn't know how she puts up with him, and neither does anyone else. Right. Finally, we Um, can all agree on one thing. They make up, and we fast forward a few years. They have more kids now who are beating on pots in the middle of the kitchen floor, like kids do. Right. Um, And then we hear, and thankfully do not see, Mickey and Farrah get into a huge fight. They're living back on his parents' property because you see his mother come and close the windows. No. She... So we're burning Mama down, too. Yeah. Okay. Um, later, he tries to apologize and tell her that he loves her and not to cry, but she is beat to hell, like, real bad. Um, she goes to try to file for welfare and is denied because her husband couldn't come or didn't come with her. Oh my god. And I wrote, I don't know, dude, maybe he gets too tired after he beats the shit out of her to accompany her to the welfare office. Right. 
she tells the man that her husband is too proud and then and then her son like pulls off her sunglasses because of course she's wearing sunglasses inside um and he sees her black eyes and he tells her that she would have to separate from her husband and she would just need to sign some papers and pay a filing fee that she doesn't have okay um seeing that she has two black eyes he gives her the seven dollars to file for divorce seven dollars mm-hmm. oh my god so she files for divorce after he assures her that the courts will protect her and then the rest of this movie is just about how the courts don't protect her the end great yep <laughs> it's just like a he was wrong and then it just cuts and it was credits and that's it yeah. you didn't have to watch anything else yeah so her friend helps her pack and she leaves mickey but we aren't even halfway through the movie so i'm going to guess that this is not going to go well right um everyone's jumping around in the car and i was like remember when there were no seatbelts the good old days <laughs> now i always had seatbelts Barely, but we flash forward to the winter of 1970. Farah is pregnant again. Her friends comes to see her, and they reminisce. Farah is looking real depressed, and her friend assures her that she's making the right choice by getting divorced. When she has the baby, Mickey's parents come to visit her in the hospital. She names the baby Nicole, and her mother-in-law fills her in on what Mickey is up to, and how he has a job. And they just need to get back together already because their children need their father. And she swears that Mickey has changed and that a woman, quote, has to take the bitter with the sweet, you know. Oh, thanks, Mary Poppins. Excuse me while I scream into a pillow for five solid minutes. Uh, She says it's wrong to keep a father from his children. You know what else is wrong, Tina? Beating your wife. So she lets Mickey come over and meet the baby. He tells her how beautiful she is and funny how that happens when you don't have a black eye. You just look a lot better. Um, He tells her he misses her and he wants to get back together. And she's his and, quote, a thousand divorces can't change anything. I don't like that. This is something he says more than once. And I hate it. Is it supposed to be sweet? If somebody were to look at you and say, Aaron, I love you more than there are stars in the night sky. When I look at the craters of the moon, they remind me of all the times we fell in holes on the ground. And a million divorces don't mean nothing to our love. Does that does that do it for you? No. Okay. <laughs> no, it does not. Um, he promises her that no one knows him like she does and that things will be a lot better this time. But she's like, you need to go. We fast forward to Sarah running through a hospital. Farah running through a hospital, not Sarah. Not your wife. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Because... To be fair, my wife is probably running through a hospital too at any given time. That's true. Yeah. Oh, hey, there's um, the panel that fell that I couldn't figure out where it went. It's mostly there. It's just hanging off by the corner. That's not what fell. Oh, then there's another one on the floor. Oh, yep. Then another one fell. There's a ghost from the plantation I talked about ripping shit off the wall because we didn't get to post it. 
It was my time to shine, motherfucker. You know what? <laughs> they just they probably well, they probably deserve the time to shine unless it's Ambrose and then fuck <laughs> Right. Um, anyway, so Farah is running through the hospital because Mickey's been in a horrible accident and needs surgery. He's pretty busted up, but unfortunately he survives. Um back in jail, Farah gets to talk to her kids on the phone. Um but then back in the past, to help Mickey get better, she moves in next door. Her BFF helps her move in and then tells her that she's crazy for helping him. And I agree, but um, nobody listened to me. Mickey won't do anything to try to make himself better. So um, Farrah's like, you're on your own. And she tells his mom to stop coddling him like a baby and letting him drink beer and sit on the couch all day instead of, like, I don't know, walking around and getting well. Right. You know? What a monster. Um, so Farrah, like, storms out, and Mickey chooses this time to finally get his ass up and hobble over to her house to try to convince her again to get back together. He gets super handsy and tells her again that a thousand divorces can't keep them apart. Don't like that. And then, to show her how much he loves her, he beats the crap out of her. Great. The kids run to get their grandparents, and um, their grandfather comes in and tries to break up the fight. Farrah shoves past everyone um, and runs down the stairs, um, and then Mickey goes after her. Unfortunately, Farrah is bleeding everywhere and leaves like a trail of blood like to exactly where she is. Mm. Um, but she isn't found until the police come, and she's found by a police officer in a closet. Okay. The police officer tells her they can't arrest Mickey because they didn't actually see him hit her. I'm, I'm sorry. I need you to rewind. I think you misspoke. The police officer said, I can't actually shoot him because there are so many witnesses, ma'am. <laughs> no. No. God damn. We'll get to another police officer on the witness stand that I have several more words for. Great. Okay. So he comes over, so Mickey comes over later to apologize and says he's humbling himself and won't do it anymore. She threatens to take the kids and leave, but he grabs her by the throat and says that she's not going anywhere because he would find her. And I was like, weren't you in the middle of an apology for beating the shit out of her? Right. Just like 30 seconds ago. You, you gotta finish one before you do another. Right. Back in jail, her lawyer says that he can't really find a self-defense case as a precedent, so instead he wants her to plead temporary insanity. Um, we flash back again to 1976. Farrah voiceovers that things were actually pretty good for a couple of years, and um, I don't have to point this out. I point this out a lot, but that's the thing about abusive relationships. They're not abusive all the time, or nobody would stay in them. Right. Um, she gets a letter with a grant to go to business school, and Mickey sneers at her, you're not going to school. Um, but then she does get to go to school, because she's like, okay, well then I have to send this check back. Yes. At school, Farrah meets a security guard named Henry, and he likes her, and I thought maybe we'd get, like, a side story, but that's it. They just meet one time. Oh, okay. 
Farrah voiceovers that Mickey started complaining about her going to school. She and Mickey get into another fight, and she tries to leave, but she can't because he took parts out of her car. What the fuck? She and Mickey get into another fight. Um, after, like, she's hold, he's holding up the car part, and he starts to beat her, and the kids are watching from the window. Oh, my God. Those poor babies. Someone calls the cops who show up and try to actually arrest Mickey, but his parents come flying out of the house next door that they live in and start pulling the cops off of Mickey, saying that they can't arrest his kid. Are you fucking kidding me? My God. I'm not saying she should have set them all on fire, but she should have set them all on fire. Right. She begs Mickey's family for help, and his mom says, that he's not right in his head anymore. But his father's like, no son of mine is going to be sent away for mental health on my on my watch. Mm-hmm. So Farrah goes to file a report and they assure her that his probation officer will handle it. And no, she cannot file charges for attempted murder. Um... She takes her kids to her mother's to stay the night, and she's barely tucked them into bed, and Mickey's beating on the door, screaming for his kids. Great. Farrah calls the cops, and while Mickey screams and bangs on the window, her mother lets him in. Oh, good. To take the children. No. And then tells her that she did it because he'd never hurt the kids. Oh, sure. Right. Of course. So Farrah goes to the courthouse and they tell her that she should hire a lawyer and sue him for custody. She then goes to the welfare office um, to say that, like, um, he's, like, stealing her benefits or whatever. Uh-huh. And they tell her that they can't prosecute Mickey. They can only prosecute her. What? Why? For, like, misusing funds or whatever. What? Okay, fuck everything. Um, okay, um, and then the lady helpfully suggests that she just throw all of his clothes out on the lawn and then lock the door. Oh, yeah, that's helpful, thanks. This woman has two black eyes. Uh-huh. And this other woman is telling her, oh, just throw his stuff out. Mickey keeps calling Farrah's mother's house and screaming at her. Her mother tells her that he really sounds sorry this time. <laughs> Um, that Sunday, Farrah is gardening when Mickey and his parents show up with the kids. She offers him coffee, and he tells her he's not going to ask her to come back, but he wants her to know that he's quit drinking and he's going to church, and he swears again that it will never happen again. And I don't understand why these kids are with their father. No, um, absolutely not. Mickey's parents judge her, and his mom cries that Mickey's just doing his best. And again, I'm not saying that she should have set everyone on fire, but she should have set all these people on fire. Um, yeah. Well, we said, though. Sorry, I'm yawning. Mickey, who just said he wasn't going to ask her to come back, begs her to come back and swears he'll never take a drink, and if he does, she can leave again. Um, in jail, Farrah gets ready to go to court. This prosecutor can also go get fucked. Um, 
A police officer says that, oh, this is the other police officer. Great, great. I'm excited. He gets on the stand and says that he didn't find Mickey's threats to be too harmful. And he didn't arrest him for threatening to kill Farrah, Fawcett, or Farrah in front of him because he, the cop, who was armed, wasn't afraid of Mickey. Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah, that makes that makes sense, sir. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. Mickey's mother testifies against Farah, which I'm not shocked, but I am disappointed. Um, um, she cries about what a nice boy Mickey was, and she lies and says she never saw Mickey hit Farah. Um, Farah's lawyer totally calls her on her bullshit, but she's really snide and shitty and snotty and just annoying. The kids testify about hearing their dad calling Farah a bitch and a whore. Mm. The kids have to ex- describe how their father would hit their mother and how they would go to their grandmother's um, and he would threaten to kill her. Um, she then tells the court, this is the oldest one, Christy. She tells the court that she does not miss her father. Oh, poor thing. I know. Farah takes the stand next. She testifies about the times Mickey threatened to kill her and the times he tried to kill her in various ways. And then about a nice, charming story about how Mickey froze their dog to death. What? I was not ready for that. Well, I'm glad it, I'm glad the dog didn't make it into the movie because I would have been like, "We're um, it, the show whole show is canceled." <laughs> um, and now we go back to the day of the fire. Farrah went to school and gave a girl a ride home. So when she gets home, Mickey's like pissed off that she's late. Um, he then gets mad because she bought laundry detergent and then he gets mad that she has TV dinner and not TV dinners and not meat, even though he doesn't live there. So he sends the kids outside and starts screaming at her about how she's never going to school anymore. He starts beating her up and she says she's not going to quit. He tears up her school notes and then her books. Um, she rushes him, and so he drops the books. They get into a scuffle, and he chokes her, which was really triggering. Um, later, she burns all the scraps of her school books. Um, she testifies that she thought maybe she would just quit school for a while, but something inside of her said no. So she went back inside, and Mickey starts punching her again. Her daughter called the police, so he stopped hitting her so he wouldn't get arrested, because, you know, they have to see it right. in order to do something um after the police left she and the kids are sitting and eating dinner she's got like a butt like her face is like completely busted right he comes into the kitchen and she said everyone was trying to be really quiet so they wouldn't upset him um but he comes into the kitchen for a beer and then just backhands Farah off her chair. Oh, good. Good. That's my favorite thing. The kids run out of the house, and he starts kicking her. He spills all the food on the floor and then drives her face through it. Love it. Um, Yep, we're here for that. Yep. She finally says she won't go to school anymore while cowering in the corner. Oh, poor thing. Later, when she goes to get his dishes in the bedroom, she says he asks her for sex. 
And so she does it because she's worried that he's going to hurt her or her children. Right. Um, she talks about how she couldn't stop thinking about everything he'd done to her, how much she wanted to finish school, how her kids' lives were as terrible as her own. And so she waited until she fell asleep, until he fell asleep, took the kids out of the house, poured gasoline all around the bed, lit a match, and ran out to the car. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, yeah. The defense rests. Um, Farrah goes to wait into a room in a room until the jury comes back. The jury finds her not guilty, not guilty by reason of that fucker deserved it. And Farrah hugs her kids and her mom and her friend, and that's the end. And I don't know why she hugged her mom because her mom sucks. Right. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Yay. Okay. That's really the end. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense yeah. because this was five years after the actual incident. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Um, I have several sources. I think uh, most of my information came from the Detroit Free Press and People Magazine. Um, so Francine Moran Wilson, formerly Francine Hughes, was born on August 17, 1947 in Stockbridge, Michigan. She was named after okay. a French musician that her mother had loved, so that's where the name Francine came from. Um, and she was that's one of nice. six children born to a father with, as described by People Magazine, um, quote, or rather, um, he was described as, quote, having a penchant for drinking poker and abusing his wife. Um, Great! She said in an interview once that her mother stayed because of the children, because she had children. Um, I mean, a lot of people do that, Right. So at 16, Francine married 18-year-old Mickey, uh, high, high school dropout um, Mickey Hughes. Quote... At 16! Uh-huh. Quote, I thought he was so sophisticated. He had his own car, and most people I knew didn't. Which is just a teenager way to think. Like, like that reeks of teenager. Yeah. Francine's own physical abuse began just weeks after their wedding. Um, She said that she bought some new clothes and he literally ripped them off of her. She said, I don't know whether I look too pretty or what, but he didn't want me to look that way. She continued, quote, I was shocked because I had never been treated like that before. But what do you do when you are 16 years old and you had to beg your parents to let you get married? Of course, he said, I'm sorry, you leave. me. it will never happen again. And I believed him, but it did happen again. And by that time I was pregnant and it felt like I had to make the, I had to make the best of it. So she tried to make the best of it, devoting herself to her first child, Christy, and then her son, John, uh, Jimmy, who was born three years later in 1966. Aww. And then her third child, Dana, who came in 1969. Mickey bounced from job to job, unable to keep steady work. He did construction and day labor and spent most of the money he earned on alcohol. Great. And before Francine knew it, she was left with no money to buy food or pay the rent, and she was pregnant with their fourth child, Nicole. Francine was desperate and went to a social worker for advice, and at the social worker's urging, Francine filed filed for divorce and applied for welfare to support her family. The divorce was granted mm-hmm. in April of 1971, but Mickey refused to even, like, acknowledge it. 
Francine would try to keep him out of the house, but he would force his way in and beat her for it. Um, Quote, things were no different than before, she said. Mickey came and went as he pleased. Several weeks later, Mickey had a near-fatal automobile accident, which left him with multiple fractures and a head injury. After waking from a coma, the first person he asked for was his ex-wife Francine. She said she felt guilty, and so she visited Mickey during his 40-day hospital stay and eventually took him home to nurse him back to recovery. And she said, I felt really trapped after his accident. I don't know why I felt so obligated to that man, but I did. That's when the real hell began. So, Mickey... Do what? So this poor woman. Yeah. Mickey refused to look for work after his recovery... Um, unsteady drinking unsteady and drinking more heavily than before he was beating Francine as frequently as every couple of days sometimes it would last for hours or sometimes for just a few minutes and he would leave and go to the bar then he'd come back and start again Francine said sometimes a few days would go by peaceful but I would go to bed at night thinking that I might wake up by being slugged She said, I learned that if I fought back, it only made him more angry. I thought, well, maybe I could kill myself, but then if I kill myself, who's going to take care of the kids? Nobody could love them like me. I would conjure up schemes about how I would sneak off to the airport with the kids and leave. But I would picture us sitting on a park bench with nowhere to go. Then I would get scared thinking about what he would do if he found me. It's a very real fear. Yeah. So during this time, she obtained her GED, and in 1976, she enrolled in secretarial classes in an effort to gain any amount of independence. On March 9th... good for her. Do what? I said good for her. Yeah. That's good. On March 9th, 1977, Francine returned from her secretarial course to find Mickey drunk and angry for God knows what. He refused to even let her make food for their children, and he berated her because she wouldn't quit school, even though he demanded her to. He began to physically assault her. The police came and spoke to them, but left, refusing to to arrest Mickey because he hadn't assaulted her in front of them. Great, you guys did an amazing A-plus job. Really, I hope you got raises. What you know? It's like Greg Abbott, who's gonna stop rape. Right. Uh huh. Right. Like we won't need abortion because he's gonna stop the rape. Well, that's a good. I mean, listen though. I hope that this is their policy with everybody, so that if they don't see anybody committing a crime, they won't arrest anybody. Like, let's just make a blanket. Oh no, that only works if you're white. That's what I figured. Um. Later, you know, I'd love to say that the legal system is so much better, and it and it is better than that. But having experienced this, it's not that much better. No. Later, a police officer testified that Mickey had told Francine that quote it was all over for her because she'd called the cops, and so I imagine the cops were like, "Oh look, they were playing a sweet game of Monopoly, and now he's going to buy all of her favorite properties. That's so sweet. I hope those two lovebirds have fun. That's surely what he meant by it's all over for her." Get fucked. 
So, I mean, he said that in front of the cops, and they're like, well, that's a threat, but he didn't touch you, so... All we can do it's is like say, please don't Well, die. he threatened her, but I wasn't afraid, so... Yeah. Anyway, Mickey flew into a fit of rage and started beating Francine. Quote, he was pulling my hair and he was hitting me with his fist, Francine later testified. Then, Mickey made her burn her books from her secretarial class that she was taking and threatened to take a sledgehammer to her car so that she wouldn't be able to drive to school. He complained about dinner and then just dumped all the food and dishes onto the floor and smeared garbage in her hair when she tried to clean up the mess. After making, ordering her to cook another meal, Mickey insisted that she have sex with him. Um, and then he fell asleep after raping her. And that's when Francine said she took stock of her life. Quote, I was thinking about all the things that had happened to me, all the times he had hurt me, how he'd hurt the kids. And I stood still for a moment, hesitating, and a voice urged me on. It whispered, do it, do it, do it. So she decided to do it. She was going to burn the fucking place down. She told the children to put on their coats and wait in the car. She poured gasoline around the bed where Mickey was passed out in his drunken stupor and she lit a fire. The fire consumed the entire home pretty quickly and while it burned, she drove straight to the police station so she could confess to killing her husband. By the time the firefighters... Yep. By the time the firefighters reached the blaze and engulfed the had engulfed the couple's home, Francine had climbed into her Ford Granada, driven to the county jail, and announced hysterically, "I did it." That's what People magazine said, and I was like, "Yep, nice. yep." Um, so at her trial later that year, a jury of ten women and two men heard how Mickey Hughes had battered his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This defense attorney, I don't know what he did, but damn, he did it." Um, I mean so they heard how Mickey had battered his wife mercilessly for 14 years and had threatened her with death if she tried to leave him Francine's lawyer said that because Mickey had been asleep quote I did not think I could convince the jury necessarily that she was not guilty of because she was defending herself so I used the temporary insanity hook Um, he said he invoked an idea that was later known as battered woman syndrome and hadn't even been coined that term yet um and this is a term coined by the psychologist lenore walker based on her research with abused women in the u.s and the uk um so walker identified a group of psychological symptoms uh namely fear guilt and denial that occurs in the victims of intimate partner abuse which is now what we uh what battered woman syndrome is called intimate partner abuse i was remember i told you not too long ago that i felt like there was a better term and i finally found it yes yeah um Mm -hmm. so this combination which um is now officially classified as a form of pts or ptsd um can make discerning the level of risk in a given moment amid an ongoing of trauma difficult an, an ongoing pattern of trauma difficult um and this defense worked mm-hmm. hughes was acquitted in an unexpected victory for her and the feminist movement of the time period um yep so 
this verdict transformed this mother of four into a figure of national notoriety. Feminist groups arguing that at least one in ten women nationwide suffer abuse at the hands of her husband um, lauded the decision as an affirmation of woman's rights of a woman's rights to self-defense against violence in her home. Um, mm -hmm. Mickey's family, however, were mad that she hadn't been charged with murder. Die mad. Right. I don't care. <laughs> so when Francine was acquitted, an anonymous admirer sent her a dozen roses with a note that said, to a battered rose which blooms again. Um, but soon Francine said she was paralyzed by a new fear. Quote, while I was in jail, Mickey's brother sent me a card saying, you're next. The threat of retaliation made her leery of going out of the house alone and one day while grocery shopping she panicked when her mother momentarily disappeared from sight and I just had to tell myself quote this is ridiculous she said um so no her nine months in prison had also created a new set of family problems she said I thought I was going to have to stay in prison so I blocked off a lot of emotions toward my children it was really hard for me to get close to them again um, and then the situation was made even more difficult because of the children were traumatized by the grisly circumstances of their dad's death, you know? Um, mm -hmm. even though none of them ever professed sadness at his passing, um, Christy, who was 12 at the time, said, quote, I spit on his grave. He was a rotten son of a bitch. Um, but it's still something they have to come to terms with that, like, their father totally. was killed yeah. by their mother, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, no, no, no. Yeah, totally. So Francine received an $11,000 advance for her help in the preparation of the book, also titled The Burning Bed by uh, McNulty. And so with that, she used it to make a down payment on a house in the suburbs. She, this is after getting out of prison. She only had a nine-month sentence. Um right. Or rather, out of jail, because she didn't have a prison sentence. Um, but, um, sorry, Francine uh, did, did, worked briefly as a secretary in a real estate office and then um, took a job as a forklift operator in a factory. And she said, everybody wondered why I was working there. They thought I was rich because of the book. But two years later, she was laid off. By that time, she said that her own private demons were catching up with her. She said, quote, I went a little crazy. I was partying almost every night trying to escape from something. I drank a lot and I was taking speed. It was like I was trying to self-destruct. Then I woke up one day and said, I've got to quit this or my family is going to fall apart. Yeah. So shortly afterward, Francine met Robert Wilson a wannabe country musician who had just been released on parole from the state prison of Michigan where he'd served a 10 years oh of a 30 year sentence for armed robbery. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't love this journey for you, Francine. That's what I said. Um, Wilson, who apparently also went by Fustin R. Thomas. Um... <laughs> asked Francine to dance and then after they were through dancing he went and took the stage so he could sing her a croonery love song 
And then later he told people in an interview, quote, like People Magazine, quote, Francine had no more than left the bar when two or three people said, man, you don't want to get involved with her. She killed her husband. And I told them, so what? There's probably something else to it because she's walking around free. And within two weeks, he moved in with Francine, and a month later, they got married. Uh, and I was, and I okay. said, Francine, um, slow I, down, girl. Let's maybe take some time for self-discovery or something. I have to say, I must be the only person on earth who finds the idea of someone singing to me not only not romantic, but like embarrassing. Repulsive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even like it when people sing me happy birthday, like, in person. I hate it. Oh, you get it every year from me. Sorry. For the rest of your life. No, no, no. On on Snap and, like, all that oh, doesn't bother right. me. In person, I hate when it. When you have to be the captive audience? Yeah, it's awful. Um, mm-hmm. So here's where mm-hmm. I say the only nice things I can about Robert, because, well, Aaron, there's not a lot. Oh. <sighs> Crazy. So. I'm shocked. Though, friend, so... Francine had always dreamed of being a nurse, but Mickey wouldn't allow it, so she'd gone to secretarial school, you know, and Mickey had made her quit. But Robert did support Francine's dreams of becoming a nurse, and he supported her through nursing school. She did become an LPN and graduated valedictorian of her program. Okay. Okay, I'm done with the nice things. So, while Robert was in prison, he'd gotten a bachelor's of psychology degree, so he knew he was going to be able to fix the brokenness of this family, and he was ready to discipline Francine's children. You know, the ones who were still dealing with the fact that their mother had killed their father, even if they didn't like him, you know, they were dealing with all that. Quote, the kids were in dire need of help, he said. They were used to doing no. whatever they wanted to do, and then all of a sudden, here comes this six foot five Taurus bull who says no and can back it up. At 15, Christy was running around and into smoking pot. Jimmy was a pale little 13 year old who sat around all day in a house robe, smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. I had to take a hold of him because he would knock Dana down or smack Nicole. And I said, Hey, I'm bigger and tougher and meaner than you. You can't whip me. So I controlled him with fear. Yeah, okay, okay that seems um, healthy and mature. I, um... Yeah, so I'm going to, like, go out on a limb and say that this child growing up witnessing his father beating the shit out of his mother on the regular uh, probably taught him to deal with his own anger in a very aggressive manner. And the way to, like, fix that is not by then being like, oh, fight me. Right. It's grown up. Through TBRI, which is wonderful stuff that I think everyone should have to be trained in. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Um, the, Jimmy said, quote, he tried to straighten us right up right away, and I guess Christy and I rebelled at him. At the time of the interview, um, Jimmy was described as a shy 18-year-old who just completed basic training for the National Guard. Um, okay. And Christy added in this interview, I haven't liked him much. He really just came up into the picture too fast and gave us all a bad rap. So, at age 16, Christy moved out of the house after a series of angry confrontations with her stepfather and refused to accompany the family when they moved to Tennessee. 
um, which was Robert's home state. So some weeks later, she called her mother from Florida, where she had traveled with her boyfriend and she was working at Taco Bell. Um, and she mm-hmm. said, Mom blew a fuse saying, what are you doing down there? So she and my stepfather came to get me. So Christy stayed in Tennessee for a year, got a job at a chicken factory, and lived apart from her family in a two-bedroom trailer. Then she moved back to Michigan, where she attended school sporadically and lived with friends and relatives. I mean, Taco Bell sounds legit right now. Yeah. So So in Tennessee, meanwhile, Robert and Francine bought a 15-acre plot of land and began building this massive three-bedroom house, which... It's funny to think, like, a three-bedroom house seems pretty normal to me, but, like, they made all the living and, like, dining areas huge. Um, Okay. That's a choice. Yeah. Robert sold insurance and started a chain-link fence business while Francine um, worked as a nurse. Um, And then she took a job in the surgery ward. So she took a job in the surgery ward of a local hospital, but abruptly resigned a year later. That same month, like, that she resigned, the Bedford County Department of Social Services received an anonymous referral asking them to investigate allegations of sexual abuse of a 13-year-old at the Wilson residence. The caseworkers who went to the home were greeted by two Doberman pinchers and could not get out of the car, so they left a note in the mailbox... Hey, just dropped by to see if y'all were sexually abusing any children here. Give us a call. Love, social workers. As much as I'd love to say that, you know, you know, earlier I said I'd love to say that um, domestic violence victims have better time now. Um, I'd love to say the same thing about social services, but. Yeah. So Francine called them an hour later and said that she was taking the child to Jackson, Michigan. Um, And the director of social services said in an interview, that was a pretty quick departure. Apparently they didn't want us to investigate. Um, So Christy said, my sister Nicole told me my stepfather got her alone and tried to touch her in a personal way. My mom said it was like she knew my stepfather was doing it, but she didn't want to accept it. Um, when asked point blank whether Robert made sexual advances toward Francine's daughter she said I don't know that's what she said Um, but they in fact said she gave a curt reply so that's why I gave it that inflection okay so Francine and Robert lived apart Um, Robert stayed in Tennessee with Dana and Jimmy Um, Mm -hmm. so Dana was a boy so, um, okay. um, cause forever I thought that Dana was a girl. And so I'd gone along really confused when all of a sudden there were several times that it referred to the sons and it finally occurred uh-huh. to me that, that Dana was the other son. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so Robert stayed behind in Tennessee with the boys and he, Um, Denied abusing his stepdaughter naturally. He says, Francine knows I'm not guilty of any garbage like that. Nicole simply wanted to separate herself from us so she could go to Michigan and run the streets freely with Christy. What? Okay. So, 
The following is directly reprint, like is directly printed in an article written in 1984. Um, quote, rejoining Christie in Michigan, Francine found a job at a nursing home and took a long-term lease on a house not far from where she was raised as a child. She has been back to Tennessee okay. once during the past three months, and Wilson been, has been to Michigan twice. On his last trip, he took Dana and Jimmy to see Francine. Dana, now 15, received a motorcycle recently from his stepfather for helping him with a fence job, because that's what every 15-year-old needs is a motorcycle. Oh, totally. And wants to continue living with him in Tennessee. Bob is the only father I've had, he says. Jimmy, on the other hand, will stay in Michigan. I came up here to get away from my stepfather, he says. Um, Don't blame you. So, Robert Wilson described Francine's mood during his visit one weekend. Francine's mood was mercurial, shifting from cheerfulness in his presence to stone-faced depression, listening to whining complaints from the two teenage daughters. He said, I'm trying to help Francine keep her sanity, but those girls are about to push her over the edge. According to Robert, Francine, quote, had to beat the tar out of Nicole a few weeks ago because she was misbehaving. Francine also got hysterical when she returned home one day and found her daughter, Christy, alone with her boyfriend. Furious, Francine struck Christy, blackening both of her eyes. So, Christy said she started going off the wall and she was telling me, you're crazy, you need help. And I said, Mom, you've got a lot of room to talk. I didn't commit murder. Ooh. So what I'm telling you is this whole family needed a lot of therapy. I mean, that should have been, like, the first place they went after <laughs> right. jail. Like, leave jail, drive to therapy. Right. Um, because, to be fair, everyone needs therapy. Yes. If you don't think you need therapy, you do. Yes. Um, so now, kind of some... I just thought, like... I don't know. Sometimes these... I was curious to see how Lifetime ended this. Or I guess this was CBS television, but how they ended it. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they make it seem like that there's a like happy ending. But in more cases than not, it doesn't actually get better. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah. this People magazine article followed up to see what life was like. And I, it hurts my heart for this family. Um, so now some yeah. um, impacts of this case as a whole on society. And uh, just a second. Mm-hmm. So first of all, according to NPR, um, in a broadcast on April 3rd, 2017, um, it was revealed that the song Independence Day, written by Gretchen Peters and made popular by Martina McBride, is about Martina this McBride. event. Um, yeah. My favorite thing was during July, um, people on TikTok were using that as like a background song for um, like actual Independence Day. And then people were duetting it and being like, do you know what this song is about? Yeah, so um, for people who are unfamiliar with these lyrics, um, just a few a few of the big hits. Um, well, she mm-hmm. seemed all right by Dawn's early light, though she looked a little worried and weak. She tried to pretend he wasn't drinking again, but Daddy had left the proof on her cheek. 
Well, word gets around in a small town. They said he was a dangerous man, but Mama was proud and she stood her ground. But she knew she was on a losing end. Um, and then we get that whole let the freedom ring, let the dove sing, it's Independence Day. And then she lit up the sky that the sky. 4th of July. By the time the firemen come, they just put out the flames and took down some names. Down some names. And send me to the county home. So this is not a song about freedom, ladies and gentlemen, or not the way yeah. that uh, people on TikTok were portraying it, at least. No. It, it, it's a banger, though. It's a great song. <laughs> 100, I love Martina. <laughs> Same. Um, so, more importantly than a great early aughts country song... Um, Francine the aughts or the 90s? Oh, I feel like it was right. I'm pretty like sure that was the 90s. Let's see. I oh, did too much Mark Driscoll research. It was earlier research. than I thought it was. Okay, it was earlier than I thought it was. You're right. 1993. Mm-hmm. 93. I did, when I typed in Martina, or when uh-huh. I typed in Martina, it pulled up Mark Driscoll, and I'm like, nope, not that dude. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, Which, if you so, haven't listened to the the rise and fall of Mars Hill, you got it. It's so freaking amazing! It's so good. Okay, duly noted. So Francine Hughes' case would represent a turning point in the movement against domestic violence and giving a voice to the victims of domestic violence. Um, mm-hmm. She did not intend it, of course, but she became a central figure in the battered women's movement which worked to draw attention to the plight of women who were brutalized by their husbands, um, but Mm -hmm. were rarely taken seriously by America's justice system. By turning national attention to tragic cases like Francine's into ways to help women like her, the movement created a system of life-saving shelters, laying the foundation for a modern awareness of domestic violence. Have you seen the music video to Independence Day? Yes, it's been a long time, but so I have good. seen it. Um, Francine Hughes's case was all too familiar to a group of feminist activists who'd been trying to call for attention to domestic violence for years. Ever since the fight for women's suffrage, women have been trying to turn the tide on spousal abuse. Um, so I found out that this this movement started well before I could have ever imagined as a, like as a full movement but women started crusading against the widely accepted policy of chastisement which held that men had the right to physically punish their legally subordinate wives quote as a master of the household a husband could command his wife's obedience and subject her to corporal punishment or chastisement if he defied her authority wrote uh, a legal historian but uh, sorry, Reva B. Siegel. I knew that their name somewhere. Um, but as ideas of discipline shifted after the public became more aware of the abuse of slaves in the antebellum South, chastisement gained critics. In the 1870s, courts in the United States overruled the common law practice that a husband had the right to physically chastise an errant wife. Was there? wording um but that didn't mean that domestic abuse stopped obviously because we still have it today mm-hmm. um do you know where the term rule of thumb comes from 
now that you say it out loud, like I've never put it together, but like it makes complete sense that it's an abusive. It was term. the rule that you could not beat your wife with something wider than your thumb. That I mean, that makes complete sense, but I've never put it together as. Saw somebody say on TikTok yesterday, everything is racist. And I'm like, everything is racist or misogynist. Everything is racist. There's not a single safe thing. Um, 100%. So um, even a hundred, like a hundred years later in the 1970s, the police and court system turned a blind eye to men who beat and raped their wives. In 1976, the New York Times covered a case in which a bleeding, bruised woman went to the police department in the hopes of getting protection from her husband. Only to be told, quote, it's not a police department thing. And told, why don't you go see the family court? Judges and juries routinely downplayed spousal abuse, too. By 1977, the same year that Francine Hughes killed her husband, the FBI had reported that spousal abuse was the highest the United States... Sorry, was the United States' most underreported crime. Um... So cases like Francine's Now it's sexual assault. Yeah. So cases like Francine's drew aware, draw awareness to the issue. Um, after she was acquitted due to temporary insanity, burning bed syndrome became something studied by academics and used as a defense in other cases of women killing their abusers. By the time this movie came out in 1984, um, there was a National Domestic Abuse Violence Awareness... National Domestic Violence Awareness Week, and the movement go. had made huge gains. A, de a decade later, Congress passed the Violence Against Women Act, which established a National Domestic Violence Hotline, forced all states and jurisdictions to recognize and enforce victim protection orders, and provided funding for domestic violence training for law enforcement officers, among other provisions. They're doing great with it. They've they are, yeah. Bounds. Yeah. Um, um, did you do you know when marital rape became widely illegal? Yeah, I don't remember now, but we talked about it um, during Lorena Bobbitt because I was so shocked whenever I read it. 1995. Yeah. I remember it being in my lifetime, and I was like, what the living fuck? Yeah. Um, so by the time Francine Hughes died in 2017, domestic violence had been recognized as a major national issue. That doesn't mean it's been resolved. Even today, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner, and one in four women and one in nine men will be victims of severe physical abuse by an intimate partner during their lifetime. On March 22, 2017, Francine Wilson died after complications from pneumonia at age 69. Quote, She had this upbeat demeanor and was just so caring and loving and happy, said Molly Wilson, Francine Wilson's granddaughter. I lived with her my entire life and didn't find out about what happened until I was 10 or 11 years old. She didn't feel like it was something to be proud of. She never felt justified. She never felt free. I think that's kind of why she kept it low-key, because I think she was ashamed and haunted by it. And that is the terribly tragic life of Francine Hughes Wilson. Oh, man. I hate it. it yeah. Even though I know, like, this is what happens most of the time, I hate it when these stories don't have a happy ending. Yeah. Things don't get better. 
Well, that sucked. It sucks, and uh, there's... I mean, you and me talking about it on this podcast does nothing, but there's such a conversation that needs to happen around these generational victims of abuse that continue abuse because they're not taught... Like, because... Because there's been such a stigma around mental health and 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 therapy and, you know, these children who are raised in abusive homes that have no other coping skills mm-hmm. that well, I is- just, my heart goes out to the children that are hurt in domestic violence cases also that are often not talked about, you know? The thing is, like, it is a cycle, right? So children raised by abusive or neglective parents tend to tend to um, right purport those things with their own family and children. But I, I'm hoping, I'm seeing more often, and I'm hoping we're getting to a place in society where you can't just say, "Oh, I was raised that way, and it's okay." Right. Anymore. You may have been raised that way, but that means that doesn't mean you have carte blanche to do it. That means you have to get help and break that cycle, break that that uh, right that chain. You know. So yeah, it sucks. And everyone should go to therapy. Yes. Therapy is awesome. This episode is not sponsored by anybody, but we think you should go to therapy. However, you that know what? Looks this for you. episode is kind of sponsored by my therapist because if I didn't go to therapy, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> I was, I was on Psychology Today looking for a new therapist yesterday because mm-hmm. I am now recovered from my therapist trauma and ready for something new. Yeah, I'm well, just so sad because he started out to... so great and then it yeah. just went downhill. You know. My therapist and I decided to go every other week, and then last night I had, like, a full emotional breakdown over my upcoming surgery, and so I was like, well, maybe that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What are you reading right now, Paul? I Nothing. I did get my, um, I did get my book of the month in the mail today and it's got the new Amor Tolls which Amor Tolls is one of my favorite authors. Um, Rules of Civility is one of my top ten favorite Mm -hmm. books and then uh, Mexican Gothic was the second book Um, and then you apparently got to the golden tier uh, book of the month where you get to pull three at a time I can still only buy two I did I have three I don't think they're here yet I haven't checked my mail today but um, let's see no they're not here yet. Um, I got, let's see, what did I get? I got everything we didn't say. Okay. Um, the X-Hex. I saw that, and I thought about it, but then I remembered I'm not a romance person. I've tried so many times. And Apples Never Fall, which is the new Leanne Moriarty book. Okay. Um, you know how much I love her. So, um, Yeah. And then right now I'm reading, I'm having trouble reading. I told y'all that yesterday, I think. My anxiety is so high. I'm hoping that it kind of calms down in the next, after my surgery, because I think that's what it is. But, like, I've been reading Uh um, We Were Never Here. And, like, I can't even, I've been listening to it on audio. And I can't even listen to it because it ramps up my anxiety so high that I, like, freak out. So, (laughs) 
So I'm working on um, reading something. I'm looking forward to getting the X-Hex and getting into that because I think it will be something light and airy that I can kind of read and it'll just be fun. Yeah, no, that's... Because um, I, like, like, I really enjoy psychological thrillers, but when I'm not in a good headspace, I just kind of can't do it. So Right. I am about to reread The Vanishing Half because okay. that is our... Um, one parish one book that our library is doing they do a parish wide book and we actually have a scheduled zoom with the author um cool. and so the librarian who runs the book club at my branch of the library um has asked to make sure that i will be there because she um she knows that i have actually read this author's others the you know Britt bennett's other stuff um uh -huh. And so she wants me to have some questions prepared, um, which oh, it's great. funny that as the adult, I'm still the straight A student who's asked to have the extra work prepared. Um, yep. But feel that. Mm -hmm. Yep. But that will be that will be a lot of fun. It will be fun to yeah. chat with this author. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've got a market tomorrow. I've got. I was supposed to have two markets next week. I'm pulling out of the one next Thursday. I just can't mentally do that. Yeah, um, I feel that. And then I've got a market the next Thursday. Mm -hmm. And then November, I have a million because it's all... People buy so much of my soap for Christmas presents, which is great. Yeah. But i'm drowning in work and then as you know everything fell apart today so i haven't had yeah. time to read because i've been like triaging my products Mhm. Mm yep so i haven't been able to read so i just i told you all today i started rewatching boy meets world on disney plus because that's yep. all my poor little brain can handle listen <laughs> i get it i get it um yeah, sorry, that was kind of a downer ending. I wish that I had something yeah. like happy to pop in here. Um, That's okay. You're not always it is. Happy. Here's something that I will share that even if y'all don't know the world's cutest little boy, um, it should make your heart oh, happy to I know do. that he comes home every day and asks me if he can put on his Spider-Man costume just to watch TV or whatever. So he just hangs around the house in his Spider-Man costume, which is just big and precious. Put on his Spider-Man costume. <laughs> That boy, no, and I'll be on my way to Louisiana. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. Oh, do you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah, we're on the Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Um, we're on the TikTok. Oh, Speaking of TikTok, go follow Lifetime TV because they are killing the TikTok game right now. It's they hilarious. Are. They remade the Couch Guy video. It's so funny. Oh, did they? I'll have to look it up. I, I'm ready for Couch Guy to be done. I'm, I'm bored with Couch Guy. But um, yes. anyways, um, Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. We're on TikTok at Lifetime Sentence. Um, you can email us. Podcast at, at Lifetime At an email address. Yeah. And then our... Our web address is lifetimesimmons.com. Join us on Discord. Um, we're having a blast. We got some new people joined this week, so we're having a lot of fun. And um, donate to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash lifetimesimmons. It is October, so we are doing spooky stories before I fully transition to Christmas. Yes. Yep. 100%. Which is in like two weeks. 
Um, and uh, while we tell ghost stories, um, the lights in my office turn out and shit falls off the wall. So yeah, <laughs> here we go. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna put a lamp right here for Aaron. Please donate to our Patreon so that Paul can buy a lamp. <laughs> And I don't have nightmares about recording this podcast anymore. <laughs> well, not nightmares about that. <laughs> right. All right. All right. Well, guys, do not forget to eat every single one of your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye.